All right, so we are in the uh, beginning stages of a new sermon series in our church, and it's called Pure the Naked Truth. And what we're doing in this sermon series is we're looking at a book, a small book in the Bible called The Song of Songs, a book that is, is probably one of the most unusual, definitely the most provocative book in the entire Bible. It's a book about love, it's a book about romance, it's about marriage, it's about uh, sexual intimacy, it's about all these things all kind of wrapped up into this small book, this book that, that is a, a collection of poetry, it's a collection of, of love letters that a, uh, a guy and a girl who are just crazy about each other, uh, it's, it's all wrapped up together in this, this one little book. And this last week... Uh, so 21 years ago, I, I first started to date my wife, and uh, like any new young couple, when we first saw each other, we were just absolutely head, head over heels for one another. I, I was attracted to her. She was attracted to me, and we just did anything that we could to be, be around each other. Our thoughts were always on each other, and uh, since the Song of Songs is kind of a collection of poetry, I thought that this morning... I would pull out some old love letters that I wrote back in the day, okay? You're about to get bombarded with cheesiness, okay? All right? So I found this one. It starts off like this. Ma chérie. Because if you want to be romantic, you got to throw some French in there, right? Ma chérie. <laughs> Just thought I'd write you a little letter while I'm sitting here in church with your face planted in my head. Now, if you're here this morning and you are already distracted because you've got some guy or girl in your head and you just can't get them out of your head, let me tell you this. I understand. I, I get how it goes because I, I, I've been there. I made the mistake of bringing your Bible to church and it keeps sending me little whiffs of your perfume. I have no idea why I had her Bible with me in church with, and why she doused it with perfume. There was some kind of scheme that she had going here. Uh, I can't help but wish you were here with me, but since you can't, I'll just have to suffer. Sad face. You know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of artistic, so I'm going to draw you a little picture. Now, I was going to put the picture on the screen this morning, but uh, that would have been too embarrassing. But it was a picture of a little tree, and it had this little lovebird, and it had on the tree there was a heart, and in the middle of the tree it said RW plus, plus BB. But there's lots of this kind of cheesy sort of stuff. And now I know that just me reading this this morning, there's, there's people here that are just envious of my, my skills. And, but not to worry, I did some digging around this week, and I found some of the top ten Christian pickup lines out there. And so if you're not, if, you're, if, if maybe you're considering asking a girl out, these are particularly for guys, or, or maybe you've been married and you're looking some, for, for some ideas for some creative writing, I've got some for you here, okay? You ready? You, wanna, you might want to write these down. First one goes like this. Hey, girl. <laughs> Could I have your name and number for my prayer list? <laughs> or here's one for you. Hi, my name is Will, God's Will. <laughs> I've been reading Joshua, but how many times do I have to walk around you before you fall for me? <laughs> little Christian humor there. Excuse me. Is your name Grace because you are so amazing? You know, amazing Grace? Yeah, okay. You be the fish, I'll be the loaves, and let's let Jesus make a miracle out of you and me. <laughs> Baby, you're just like water, except Jesus turned you into fine. 
hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> That's kind of creepy. Let's go, hey, girl. Hey, girl, would it be breaking the eighth commandment if I stole your heart? <laughs> now, I know why Solomon had 700 wives. He never met you. And if it's just before Easter, here's a good one for you, okay? So if it's about 40 weeks out from Easter, hey, girl, we'll only be able to see each other on Sundays for the next few weeks because I'm giving up sweets for Lent. <laughs> and the ultimate cheesiest pickup line, I went on a mission trip, and all I did was end up mission you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheese, I get it, I get it. But the attraction that takes place between a guy and a girl is, is really kind of something else. You know, in the beginning, uh, you love everything about him or her. You are enamored with the name, the way their name rolls off your tongue. Uh, his eyes are radiant, the dimples in his cheeks, her adventurous spirit, the way he walks, his dazzling smile, the way he cares about his mom, the way she's so smart, her laugh, the swing of her hips. It all just drives you crazy to the point where att attraction actually sounds like a little bit too weak of a word. It's more like, like she's got this Star Wars-like tractor beam, and it's sucking you in, and there's nothing that you can do about it, and you're loving every single minute of it. But then one day, 10, 15 years later, you wake up. The daily routine has been shattered by, by, uh, by just life. His six-pack is now a, a keg. And that craziness that you fell in love with, it starts to drive you crazy, especially when she makes a scene at the Christmas office party in front of your boss. And that adventurous spirit, you're just going, I wish that they would just settle down in life. And before you know it, you find yourself less and less attracted to your spouse. You might like them, but you're not really attracted to them anymore. Or worse, you're not, if you're not careful at guarding your marriage, you might even find yourself in a place where you find yourself resisting, resisting your spouse. There's no attraction whatsoever. And you've forgotten or lost sight of all the things that you fell in love with from the very beginning. Now, this morning, I'm going to be speaking to married people. I'm going to be speaking to singles. I'm going to be speaking to those that are dating. I'm going to be speaking to those that are all over the map. And whenever uh, a pastor does a, a series like this that's, that's, that talks a lot about marriage and talks about dating, there's always the, the thought, okay, how, how do you hit everybody in the room? Because everybody's at a different place when it comes to romantic relationships. Well, I believe that, that God's Word... When it's, when it's preached, can speak to people no matter where you're at on the journey. It, it has a way of just speaking to you wherever you're at. I've had many times where I've, I've preached, and then after the, the sermon's done, I'll be out there in the comments, and someone will come up to me and say, Rich, thank you so much for saying this. It just really blessed me. And I'm going, I don't actually remember saying that, but cool. <laughs> I guess if it, but I think that's just how God's Word works. It, it can speak to you regardless of where you're at on your journey. So I'd encourage you this morning, I'm going to be speaking at times to those that are married. If you're single, don't zoom that out. Engage, because I believe that God has something he wants to speak to you in that. There's going to be times this morning um, where I'm speaking to those that are considering dating. They're single, and, and, and you're looking to, to, maybe you've got someone that you're interested in. And when I'm speaking to those that are dating, if you're married, don't zone it out, because I believe that God will speak to you during that time. But for some of you in the room, maybe you're married and, and you hear this, this talk about uh, just how, how things can, the attraction kind of fades and it just becomes same old, same old. And maybe you think, well, of course, that's just what happens when you 
get married. That's what just, just the longer you're with somebody, the, that's just the natural thing to have happen. Life gets crazy. They say stuff that hurts you. You start to see the flaws. You, you see the weaknesses. You see all that stuff. The attraction of young love, it just fades over time, and it becomes a more mature kind of love. And this morning what I want to do throughout this whole message is I want to expose a myth when it comes to the attraction between you and your spouse. And, and here's the myth. The myth is that it's inevitable that everything will go downhill in your relationship after you get married. And maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've watched the movie or you've watched the sitcom where that's just the message that's portrayed. Maybe you've just have grown up and that's just how you thought things would go. Maybe that's just become your experience. But there's this myth that everything will and should go downhill in your relationship after you get married. The fun's going to die off. The attraction's going to go away. You're not going to enjoy being with each other as much anymore. You're, you're going to stop becoming friends and be, you're, you're going to be more like roommates. The romance is going to go away. The sexual intimacy is going to go away. The laughter's going to go away. Everything is supposed to get worse after you get married. That might be culture's idea of how marriage works, but... It's not God's idea. It's not God's. And for any couples who have lost the passion, for any unmarrieds who, who want to avoid marriage, maybe you're going, I want to avoid it like the plague because it's just going to be a prison sentence. It's going to be like a wet blanket on the relationship that we already have. Or for any in the room this morning that are, 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 are single and you're skeptical of marriage, you're going, I have seen the hurt and the pain that marriage has caused or maybe you've experienced the hurt and the pain that it's caused. I just want to tell you something about God and, and, it's, and this thing called marriage that he designed. God put the book, the Song of Songs, some people call it the Song of Solomon. God put this book right smack in the middle of the Bible as a way to say it's possible to have a pure, intimate, passionate relationship with that man, with that woman um, you love, and here's how you do it. And he shows us through this book, the Song of Songs. And in this book, if, if you were to read it, you could go home and read it today, and it probably would take you right around half an hour to read this book. It's, it's that, that short. But if you read this book, you're going to see at the very beginning, it starts off where there's just romantic uh, sparks of attraction are just flying. Listen to some of the words that are written. Uh, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. Later on, how beautiful you are, my darling. How, oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Cuckoo. Um, flowers appear on the earth. The, the season of singing has come. The cooing of dove is heard in our land. Apparently they like doves. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise. Come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. And there's a physical attraction going on here in this book but as we're going to see throughout this, this sermon, sermon the, the attraction that this couple has is actually much more than physical. But attraction is all over this book. They, they want to be together. And as the book progresses, you're going to see it kind of change a little bit. And, and later on in the book, there's going to be this powerful imagery. The king comes out in this royal carriage to take his lady's hand in marriage. Then you keep reading a little bit further, and it's like the, the curtain is opened on the honeymoon suite. And as you read it, you're going to actually need to flip your Bible over at points, and you're going to be asking yourself, am I actually still reading the Bible? I mean, this book pulls no punches whatsoever, 
when it comes to describing the beauty of, of sexuality in the God-honoring context of marriage. And then as the book begins to wrap up, you're going to read these words, words that, that God put at the end of this book, I believe is a way of saying, as your relationship, as it progresses, and as you've been married for, for, for years, that this is what, what it should look like. Right up to the point when one of you breathes their last breath. It says this, love burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Love burns like a blazing fire. And for you in the room this morning that are married, I'm going to be asking this question a couple times this morning. Where is your marriage? Is that how you would characterize your marriage as a blazing fire? You see, the love in a relationship always starts off burning bright. But the question is, what can you do to keep it that way? What can you do to keep it burning bright? And we find some clues on how to do this by going back to the beginning of the book of Song of Songs when the love between this, first, this couple first began to blossom. And, and as we look at, at what this couple has going and how they're just, they find each other so attractive. And there's a verse that we skimmed through last week that I want to spend more time on this morning. It's found right at the beginning of this book. And it goes like this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. So you just can see there, there's this attraction. There's this desire that they just, they have for one another. Now there's fatal attraction. Attraction that's going to leave you hurt. Attraction that's going to leave you broken. And then there's the opposite. There's life-giving attraction, the kind that will, will start a relationship off right, and then it will sustain that blazing fire, that desire throughout all the highs and lows of married life. And you don't have to read very far in the book of Song of Songs before you see that there's some pretty strong physical attraction going on between this, this man and this woman. In the passage that we just read, uh, there, there's, there, they were the words of the woman, and she's saying that, that he just does something to her. And, th- and she wants to, to kiss his mouth. I mean, this guy does something to her. And later on, she describes how, how he's just a total beast in her books. She says in verse 16 of, of chapter 1, How handsome you are, my beloved. Later on, she describes him like this. She says, My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. And, and that's just an ancient way of saying he's a great big hunk of burning love. Like, I, I just got to have this, this guy. And then he gets in on the action as the book kind of progresses. And listen to how he describes her. He says, your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Now, to all the, the young guys in the room, don't ever use that as a pickup line on a lady, okay? Don't ever do that. You'll get a slap in the face if you do that. Some cultural context is in order here. Back in ancient times, wheat was looked as nourishment. So what he's basically saying is you physically satisfied. And, and we don't talk about this one a lot in the church, but when it comes to the stuff of life-giving attraction, physical attraction actually plays a part in that. And I, and I know maybe some in the room are automatically going, okay, Rich, that's so shallow. Um, but think about this. Every couple in this room experienced physical attraction at some point to the person that you're either dating or that you're married to. It could have been 
his eyes. It could have been her, her, her hair. I, I don't know. But there was physical attraction, and the sparks started flying. Now, there's two big problems, though, with looks, isn't there? First thing is this. They don't last forever. And if you don't believe me, just have a little peek in the mirror, okay? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I do not look the same way that I did when I first started dating Becky. My, my hair is, is growing increasingly thin, especially on top. And one day you're going to, I'm going to show up in church and I'm just going to be flat out bald. Just telling you, okay? Don't, don't be shocked when that happens. But the hair is thinned out. I got a little Grand Canyon forming right here and crow's feet by the eyes. I got hair growing in my nose and growing out my ears. My toenails are starting to turn yellow. I know it's gross, but, but that's just what's happening, right? Looks, they just don't last forever. And another problem with looks is that they can be deceiving. They can be deceiving. He might look like a hunk of steel on the outside, but maybe inside he's got the backbone of a wet noodle. Um, her, her looks might get your head spinning, but if, if things aren't beautiful on the inside, so what? There's actually this interesting verse in the Bible. There's some, there's some interesting verses in the Bible. Dig into this book because it's, it's fascinating. But the verse goes like this. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. And what the Bible is, is saying is that beauty on the outside doesn't mean anything if there's no beauty on the inside. I love how one, one of the pastors that I like to listen to, um, his name is, is Matt Chandler. He's from Dallas, Texas. He says this about attraction. He says, attraction is a good thing, just not at the level that our culture puts it at. The culture, it tells us physical sexual attraction is first, then character, then godliness, and compatibility will follow. We get it backwards. Here's how it should be. Once character, compatibility, and godliness are there, those fuel attraction in the way that pleases God and is much safer for our souls. And if physical attraction is the only thing fueling attraction, guess what? Eventually, you're going to run out of fuel. Eventually, you're going to run out of fuel. There needs to be more that's fueling the attraction. And when you look at this couple in the Song of Songs, you can see pretty quickly that Although there is physical attraction there, there's also so much more going on between this couple. There's also an attraction to the way that, that he loves, and he's attracted to the way that she loves. There's an attraction to the love that they have. Listen again to some of the words they say to each other. She says, for your love is more delightful than wine. Later on, he says, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. They are attracted to the love that the other person demonstrates to them. And the guy knows that she loves and cares about him. She knows that, that he loves and cares about her. And they find this love, just it's attractive to them. Which, of course, begs the question, if the way someone loves is supposed to feel attraction, how do you know if it's really love or if it's just simply infatuation? What does it look like for someone to really sincerely love you? Well, the answer to that is actually pretty simple. And to, to get the answer, we just, we just have to skip ahead in our Bibles to a book in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 13, words that, that you've probably heard at a wedding at some point, the Bible describes what love looks like. And we read, first of all, that love is patient. It's patient. If he's not respecting your physical boundaries, 
if he's crossing all the lines, if he's putting his hands in places that he shouldn't be put, putting his hands, if he's trying to get you to sleep with him before he's put a ring on your finger, he's not being patient. He is, he is not, he's not demonstrating that he really cares about you. In my home, we've got some, we've got some rules around the whole dating thing that, that I realize in our culture are, are looked at as, as probably being absolutely archaic. But, but I'm cool with that. But we, we've, got, we've got these rules in my home that I think help me and, and help my kids, and, and specifically my daughters. Not that I don't care about my son, but it's just, it's different with daughters. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you, yeah, anyways. <laughs> it's different. Just trust me. It's different. And so, and so some of the, I've got these rules, though, that, that help me and help them know if, if he really cares because they, they're, they're, the rules will force him to be patient. You can't date my daughters until they're 16. You just can't. And then when they turn 16, it's not like a blanket, like just you can go out and, and, and date my daughter. No, you actually have to come and ask my permission before you're going to date my daughter. And, 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 and if you ask my permission and I don't know you, I've never seen you around, you're like a brand new face in my life, guess what? I'm probably just going to say no. I tell my, my daughters that all the time. If I don't know him, you, might as well, you should have him come around the house because if I don't know him, I'm just going to say no. If he asks me, I'm going I'm to say no. Hey, let's... Let's get to know one another a little bit. Let's, let's hang out a little bit. Maybe go hunting together or <laughs> sharpen knives together or something like that. But, but let's hang out a little bit. And a guy that wants to date my daughter, he needs to understand something. He's actually not just dating my daughter. He's actually kind of dating me too. And is that old school? Absolutely. Is it countercultural? Totally. And do I do it because I'm a controlling dad? No, I do it because I love my kids and I want to protect their hearts from the drama and the craziness of the dating scene these days. And let me just tell you, it is crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. And when someone lacks patience, it's a great sign that they're not ready to date my kids. Love is patient. Love is kind. How does he treat you? Does he respect you? Better yet, how does he treat others? Does he treat others with kindness? Because maybe he's just being kind to you because he wants something from you. How does he treat others? How does, how does he treat the, the kid in school that nobody else likes? Does he just join in with bullying them? Does she gossip and, and backbite about, about her friends behind their backs? Love is kind. It's not mean-spirited. It's not rude. It doesn't bully. It doesn't manipulate. That, that creates this attraction. Now, later on, we're going to be talking a little bit about how spouses will, will lose this attraction that they, they have for one another and about how one of the ways to get that back is by doing the things you did at first. And it, it's amazing how this whole area of kindness tends to slip away the longer that you're married. I, I will say things to Becky that I would, would have never dreamt of saying in the first few months of us being together. But for some reason, we think that 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 being married gives us license to be mean-spirited and to say things that just are unkind. And, and maybe one of the ways to get that attraction back and to get the, feel the fires again is, is just to go back and be kind and, and not mean-spirited. So love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking. And the more you get to know someone, the easier it is to tell if they're, they're just in it for themselves or if they really do care about you. And this is particular, particularly the case when it comes to uh, the area of physical boundaries. And one of the big questions that, that people have 
I know I had before I got married was, where's the line? When it comes to physical boundaries, where is the line? What, what is, is it kissing? Is it okay to kiss? Is that, is that too much? Is it holding hands? Is it, is it a light shoulder massage? What, 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 is, the, what is the line when it, when it comes to physical contact? What, what, what's too much? And by the way, making out, cuddling on the couch from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. while you're watching a romantic movie, it never ends well, Okay. It doesn't end in some kind of conversation about the cinematic qualities of the movie that you just watched. Okay, you know what I'm saying? But, but the question, where is the line, is, is good to be asking, but it does kind of miss the point in that the question is actually inherently a self-seeking question. Because what you're doing is you're asking a question that's not about what's best for the other person. It's actually about what's best for me. It's, 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 it isn't about wanting to show love and respect for the other. It's about me wanting to know if I can bend the line just enough and somehow justify doing what I most likely already know deep down is not right to be doing. The better question to be asking is, when is the time? Not where is the line, but, but when is the time to begin getting physical? And, and in Scripture, the time is always after the covenant of marriage is in place. It's always after the covenant of marriage is in place. But look at that. Look at the way they love, not just the way they love you and the way they love others, but most importantly, the way they love Jesus. Look for a love that is rooted in, in a love for Jesus. And I'd encourage all the students in the room, I know we got lots of students here at the 1130, look for somebody that loves Jesus. I can't tell you how many times this has, in, with, with Becky and I, how, how a love for Jesus has protected our marriage. I have done a lot of stupid things with Becky. I've said a lot of stupid things and, and have just messed things up. But love for Jesus keeps me coming back to her because when I do something against her, something that hurts her, it, it puts a wall up between her and I. Uh, but it also puts a wall up between me and Jesus. And I can't, if I love Jesus, I, I, I can't, that love, that, that wall is going to bug me, but that wall is not going to come down because Jesus won't let it come down until I first go back to her. And make things right with her. Find somebody that has a heart, that has a heart for Jesus. The stuff of life-giving attraction, there's physical attraction that happens. There's being attracted to the way they love. And then there's being attracted to godly character. Kind of goes along with the, the second one there. But you go back to the attraction that we see in the Song of Songs. And there's, there's this line in there that's really important to unpack. She says to him, she says, your name is like perfume poured out. Your name. Your name is like perfume poured out. In the Hebrew world, so back in the day when this was all put together, your name meant everything. Your name was, your, your integrity was attached to your name. It was about your character, what kind of person that you are, your reputation. It was all tied in, all linked to your, na your name. So when she says your name, she's actually saying, your character, the man, the person that you are, is like, it's like perfume being poured out. It's sweet. It's, it's attractive. And when considering whether or not to date or marry someone, a great question to be asking is, what kind of name does this person have? What kind of name do they have? And, and too often, people jump into a, an intimate, romantic relationship, an exclusive relationship, before they even have a chance to know who this person is. He starts saying nice things to her, and she just lights up, and she starts to feel all good. And she's like, nothing else matters. 
it is wise to find out what kind of name the person has, what kind of character they have. Ask his friends what kind of person, person he is. Yeah, students, that is absolutely crazy. But why not? Um, if you can't find any friends to ask, not a good sign. Run away. Run away. Stalk his Facebook a little bit. You just got permission to stalk his Facebook page, okay? Is he spending time with good people? Or does he have pictures posted of him and his friends just pounding back shots of tequila? You know, what kind of character do they have? Someone who's a person of godly character is a person who's honest, a person who's gentle, kind, trustworthy. They're motivated. You know, they're not 40 years old living in mom's basement playing Xbox all day long. They've got some motivation. Someone who's a person of character is a person who has joy. There's a peace about them. Sounds an awful lot like a follower of Jesus, doesn't it? But, but they're a person of character. They have character. And when you find yourself being attracted to all these qualities in a person, you have the stuff of life-giving attraction. But what about the married couple in the room who's saying right now, you're just thinking in your head, okay, yeah, we, had, we were attracted to one another at one time. Our love was like a blazing fire. There was desire. There was passion. But now it's gone. Or it's quickly fading, fading away. Now, I don't know all the, the issues that there might be in your marriage that might be facing you. I don't know what kind of pain there, that, that's been inflicted. I don't know what kind of damage has been done. Uh, maybe you might, there might be some need for some extensive restoration, some counseling, all that kind of stuff, which can be really good. There might be the need for some for forgiveness and some healing, some deep work that needs to be done. And if that's the case, I'd encourage you to get started and do that. But, but maybe there's someone in the room today who has simply lost sight of those areas that you were first attracted to. You just lost sight of them. You're going, yeah, Rich, there was all these things that just attracted me to my spouse, but now all I see is flaws. Now all I see are those things that drive me crazy. Now all I see is, is just weakness. And if that's you, if you're in that boat, here's my, my challenge to you today is my challenge is to rediscover your partner while at the same time not forgetting what led you in the first place to walk down that aisle, to stand at the front of that aisle, and then to say, I do, to your bride or groom. Rediscover them. Rediscover them and don't forget about those things. And then maybe there's another reason that the attraction has ceased, and it's, it's the same reason that a lot of times people lose their attraction and their desire, their hunger, and their thirst for Jesus. And Jesus, he spells this out really clear in Scripture. He goes to this church whose love and desire has gone grown cold, and he says this, You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Consider. And that can be tough work to do where you, you, you go okay, what was it like back in the day? And then you go, wow, things have really changed a lot from back then. It was a blazing fire back then, but, but it is just not like that anymore. Sometimes that wake-up call can actually be a good, healthy thing for marriage. But he says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent, and then he says this, the key line, do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. So if your love for Jesus has gone cold and you don't find yourself attracted, desiring, wanting to be with him, do the things you did at first. 
Maybe the passionate pursuit of him has just dwindled down. You just don't go into your, your Bible anymore. You don't, you're, you're just disconnected from a church family. You're not a part of a small group where people are growing in their faith. Well, those things that you did at first, you're not seeking his face. Maybe you're not as bold about your faith. You, just, you, become, a, you, be, you become embarrassed, and so you just keep it to yourself. What are the things that you did at first? Jesus says, go back and begin to do those things again. Begin to do them again. And, 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 uh, and he'll, he'll, he'll begin to, to, to breathe life. He'll begin to breathe life. Here's the thing. When attraction begins to fade, do the things you did at first. And if it's a, your attraction for Jesus, your desire for Jesus, your passion for him, do those things you did at first. If it's your attraction and your desire to, toward your spouse that has faded away, do the things that you did at first. You know what those things are. I was, as I was digging up this letter this week and going through, trying to find some stuff from back in the day with me and Beck, I just thought, you know, I have not been, I haven't written her a lot of love letters lately. And I know you're probably thinking, Rich, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but I haven't done that as much. And maybe, maybe that's something I need to take up again. What did you do at first? Maybe you were buying her flowers every week and you just, you stopped doing that. You just got practical. You can't afford those anymore. And so, yeah, just not doing that. Maybe, maybe what you did is, is when her, her car needed detailing, you would just detail her car. Or you would fix whatever. And now you're just like, oh, we've been married for 20 years. She can take it to the mechanic. Maybe you saying, dear, let me go out. I just want to, I want to get your car in good shape. Maybe that's what God will use to begin to fan that fire back into flame again. Do the things you did at first. Maybe, maybe for the ladies, maybe back in the day, you, you would sit down with, with him and you would just give him all your attention. You would tell him how awesome he was and how much you just respect this about him and that about him. But now things have changed. Now, now when you're together, it's, it's this. It's looking down at that phone while he's just sitting there. Going, yeah, what's this all about? But do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. One more time. Do the things. Do the things that you did at first. And God will work in that. Those things you did at first, what it's like is, is, is it's like if you've got your fire, that, that it's not a blazing fire. It's dwindled down to just a flickering flame. When you begin to do those things you did at first, it's like you're throwing stuff on that fire. When you begin to romantically pursue one another, you're throwing wood on that fire, and it, it begins to burn brighter and brighter. And if you've lost that, that desire and that attraction, I know God wants to restore it. He just does. He's not a God that's about half-heartedly loving one another. We talked a little bit about this last week. He's, he's a God that's about, when it comes to him, he wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants us to hunger and thirst for him. He's about passionate pursuit, and it's the same thing with your relationship with your spouse. In Psalm 23, it says that he, wants, he, he restores my soul. He is a God of restoration, and he can restore what's been lost. Maybe you're here this morning and going, no, it's hopeless with my marriage. It's just we're on our last leg, and Rich, this is all nice and, and everything, but it can't happen for me. You gotta understand something about our God. He's a God of the impossible. He's a God of the impossible. Come on, one or two amens would be good on that one. 
He's a God of the impossible. He, he can restore. He can heal. He can take what, however broken it might be, and he can begin to breathe life into it. He just can. And as you begin to, uh, to fan that fire in the flame, watch how he'll, he'll work in your marriage, restoring attraction, desire, and passion that's been lost. Would you pray with me today? Lord, I don't think it was any accident. In fact, I know it was no accident when you included some of the strong language in this book, The Song of Songs, in describing what your vision of marriage should be. Here's this couple that, that describes love like a blazing fire. Rivers and waters can't put it out. No matter what happens in life, maybe it dies down, but it's, it's not going to ever go out despite the, the, the hurt, despite whatever might, might, might come and, and wage war against that, that, that blazing fire. With you, Jesus, at the center, God, it, just, it stays burning bright. And, Lord, I know that's the picture that you have for our marriages. And, Lord, I pray for anybody today that has just settled for a marriage that, that's not full of desire and full of attraction and full of just pursuit of one another. Maybe we've settled because of just believing the myth that everything is supposed to be like this, it's supposed to go downhill once you get married. Lord, I pray that this moment this morning would be like an awakening. Lord, I pray that you would begin even now, Jesus, to, to just cause hearts to begin to want to, to wanna do whatever is necessary, Lord, to begin fanning that fire into flame. Lord, for the husband who has just ignored his, his wife, who just completely stopped doing all those things that they did in the beginning. Lord, I pray that today would be the start of something new and a, a new re- romantic pursuit. Lord, in that relationship. And God, I pray for the same thing for wives who have just become passive, maybe just dismissive, uh, distant in the relationship. Lord, may today be the start of a new romantic pursuit in that marriage. And Father, I pray that that you would work in that marriage, Lord, just to, to, to turn the flickering flame into a raging, blazing fire. And Father, I also want to pray the same thing for relationships with you in this room. Lord, I pray... That, that, Lord, where the hunger and the thirst for you has just disappeared, Lord, let this be the beginning of just a new awakening in people's lives. God, where people hum, hum, hunger and thirst for your presence, hunger and thirst for you, Jesus. I pray all this in your good name, Jesus. Amen.